Welcome to Sofa Security Chat Chat, episode 138 for the 13th of March, 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski, here with my colleague Paul Ducklin. Hey, Paul. Hello, Chester. You know, I hope this doesn't seem a little too self-serving, but it's almost the fourth birthday of the Chet Chat, which technically happens on Saturday, the 15th of March, 2014. So happy birthday. Uh, and the other thing is that exactly a year ago to the day, in the Chet Chat, I said to you, hey, you've just been to B-Sides, the first B-Sides conference in Vancouver. How was it? And you said it was great. We had about 85 people. Well, you've just got back from B-Sides 2014 Vancouver, haven't you? How did it go this year? It was fantastic, Paul. I mean, you know, Sophos was a sponsor this year, which I was quite happy uh, that we could contribute a little, you know, a little bit of money to help a, a free event like B-Sides. For, if people aren't familiar, B-Sides is uh, a security meetup that happens once a year in a lot of cities all around the world. And one of the goals and purposes of B-Sides is to be entirely free so that there's no barrier to entry. Everyone is welcome. And uh, this year, we had well over 250 people on the first day. We actually had to turn some people away because uh, our facility was at its capacity for what we're allowed. The talks were great, and just the sense of community to think that there's that many folks here in town that are passionate about security enough to take time out of their schedules to, to come out for the day to learn the latest from some of the great speakers we had. Uh, it, it just it was a great event. Yes, not to talk down paid events where you know your company says, hey, we're going to send you to Vegas or we're going to send you to San Francisco and get you into a conference and a trade show, an RSA-type event where there are tens of thousands of people. Nothing wrong with that. But like you, I'm a big fan of the community-based events where people are coming together on their own time because they think that by working together, we can actually raise our defenses against the crooks much more vigorously than we could if we stood alone. Yeah, and we, we had a, a really broad mix of folks presenting at our B-sides. We had representatives from the police. We had software companies like Sophos and Mozilla and Microsoft. We had individual researchers who are just experimenting uh, on their own that wanted to share their research with the community and get feedback from people. You know, that's what community is about, like everybody coming together with a common goal. Chester, I don't want to dampen your enthusiasm, but it's also occurred to me that as we record this, it's the second Tuesday of a month. Yes, Patch Tuesday time again, isn't it? And, and we had, what, five updates from Microsoft and one from Adobe. Uh, but all that everybody's talking about is the IE zero-day fix, right? Was that CVE 2014-0322, I think? Yes, one of those catchy names all over again. That did get patched. In a way, it's kind of a pity that that detracted from all the other fixes, all the other four fixes, one of which was critical as well, um, because that was a sort of poster child fix even though there were actually a number of workarounds and mitigations that could have kept you safe. I've got to say, well done for Microsoft for sticking to it and getting it fixed anyway, even though this is one time where they could have taken longer and it wouldn't have been a disaster. Yeah, and I guess it's important to point out that uh, Apple users need to pay attention as well and that not only was there an Adobe update shipped, um, but Microsoft shipped an update for Mac users as well. So uh, this isn't just a Windows thing, folks. Make sure you get your Macs patched. Yes, uh, silver light for Mac. And as I wrote on Naked Security, do I even have it? Because I do recall that at one stage I installed it for a particular website that I needed to get something off and 
Then I never used the website again and I figured, hey, I should remove this Silverlight thing because I don't need it anymore. And then it occurred to me, did I? Uh, I better go and make sure. So there is a, Microsoft does have a web page which will tell you whether you've got Silverlight installed or not on your Mac. Obviously, its goal is, hey, you haven't got it. Click here if you want to go ahead and install it. But it's a good way of making sure if you think you had it and got rid of it, that it really is gone. Yeah, and I think at least here in North America, the primary use of Silverlight for most people has been Netflix. Uh, Netflix is very popular uh, in the U.S. and Canada. And unfortunately for the DRM that Netflix uses, it requires Silverlight. So if you're a Netflix user, you probably don't want to remove Silverlight or you're going to have to install it again. Other than that, you know, Silverlight, like Shockwave and some other things, isn't very widely used. You probably don't need it if you're not a Netflix user. So Microsoft also introduced a, a pop-up warning about the end of XP, being that this, uh, as you pointed out earlier to me, is the penultimate fix for Windows XP. There's only one more after this, folks. Uh, I guess that means if you're staying with Windows XP, you only have to worry about patching one more time. But uh, I'm not recommending that strategy. Is this thing, you know, intrusive? Well, Chester, when I wrote it up for Naked Security, we did have someone say, oh, no, another intrusive pop-up from Microsoft. Why did they bother? I think it's reasonable of them to put up a warning, kind of talking their own operating system out of a job. Not having those patches really does matter. Whatever anyone says, no matter how much they say they can lock down XP by using the EMET tool by being careful by having an antivirus and three firewalls and a safety blanket, they're still going to be running an operating system which basically has zero days that last forever. So I think it's important to point out, I guess, that with you know XP embedded, you do still have some more time. The reality is it may not be smart to continue to run it even though you do have more time because you're missing a lot of mitigation technology uh, in particular, things like ASLR, but even you know, with these memory scrapers that steal credit cards, uh, some of them are really dumb. They look through memory serially. So by getting onto a new platform where you're running a 64-bit operating system and you're using ASLR in Windows 7 or 8 and this kind of stuff, it makes a big difference. And that, in and, you know, in and of itself, makes the criminals' jobs harder. So it's worth stepping forward, even if you're not up against a deadline, in my opinion. Yes. You and I a while ago did that Sophos Techno podcast, The End of XP, where we discussed these very issues. You know, people saying, well, why couldn't Microsoft make all these patches and produce a better version of Windows XP? And your response was, well, in a way they did. They called it Windows 7. The reason it came out as Windows 7, not as Windows XP++, is that internally, at least some of the architecture is different. They started from a different place, if you like, because they knew more about security when they got going. And trying to fit new tricks to old dogs doesn't always give you the best possible results. Now, in other news, uh, I guess maybe I spent a little bit too much time at the RSA conference, and uh, every third or fourth word out of my mouth seems to be APT or threat intelligence, threat intelligence, threat intelligence, APT. I love the way you describe that as a word even though threat intelligence is two words. But I can imagine how in a conference setting where it's the kind of buzz phrase, it just gets squashed together until it comes out as a single word concept idea and uh, you're sort of knee deep in it. I do feel for you, Chester. For me, it's been uh, APT and threat intelligence. I have some sort of a 
mental trauma from the conference. But, uh, you know, there was some interesting things published by our colleague uh, Zappi in our Hungarian lab um, about some of these, uh, you know, really scary advanced zero days that turn out to be from 2010 and 2012. And they're still being used, huh? Yes. Actually, what Zappi did is very interesting. He's been tracking a particular type of, let's call it an APT. By that, you know, we mean a targeted attack. Uh, and he noticed that these guys almost exclusively were using exploits that targeted Microsoft Office rather than going for the uh, Adobe Reader, Adobe Flash, Java, and so forth. So these exploits would turn up in things like Doc, XLS, and RTF files. I don't want to put words in Zappi's mouth, but I kind of naively thought last year that, well, this has got a finite life, right? The, these things, are they're relying on uh, holes that were patched when well, it was one and three years ago. It's all going to die out. That has not happened. What's happened is that these exploits that used to be part of the APT scene are now widely in use by your money-making financial institution plundering cyber crooks like the guys behind Zbot slash Zeus. And so it's reasonable to assume that if the crooks are using these old exploits, then they're getting a return on their investment. And that's worrying because in this case, 91% of these attacks that Zappi measures, both the APT flavor and the money-making cybercrime flavor, could have been rendered completely harmless by patches that are now two and four years old. So good luck to you if you're going to keep using XP where the small gaping holes are going to get ever more gaping and ever more numerous. Yeah, well, that's the, and I guess the, to a degree that goes along with older versions of Office as well. I mean, uh, they get discontinued and we see people run them long past the time they stop being patched. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just as risky and, and it may not be as obvious to fix. So uh, the last thing to talk about uh, today I had on the list was is CryptoLocker. There were some interesting statistics alleging that, you know, like 3% of people were in, in, in impacted by CryptoLocker and that they're making hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and, and on the surface at first, it seems uh, a, a kind of shockingly large numbers. But when you really look at it, it, it might kind of be true, isn't it? That was exactly my reaction, Chester. A great article, by the way, on Naked Security by John Hawes. This is a study by the University of Kent. So this is just looking at the UK. One in 30 people surveyed had been hit by CryptoLocker. And of those, 40% coughed up the 300 bucks to get their data back. So that's what about just over 1% of UK computer users have remitted $300 to these data scrambling crooks. I mean, 1% of, of UK people is a lot, isn't it? Yes. And of course, this has led to commenters on Naked Security going, well, it's been months. Surely they should have caught these guys by now. They've got zillions of dollars. They must be sitting in this sea of cash. Surely somebody will have noticed. But unfortunately, cybercrime investigations aren't always that easy. A lot of these payments, they're done with money pack or with Bitcoin. It's difficult to find out where the guys are. And in many cases, uh, you know, if you go back and look at some of the law enforcement successes that we've written about on naked security in the past, they typically take several years, even after people have been arrested, for the case to get organized because there can be so many jurisdictions involved that so many ducks that have to be lined up 
before things can go ahead. So spare a thought for our chums in law enforcement. If someone's stolen a million cars and stashed them in their back garden, you'd probably notice. Unfortunately, with bitcoins and money pack cards, it isn't quite like that. No, no, it isn't. And uh, it, for anyone that hasn't ever been involved in a mutual legal assistance treaty request, uh, I can assure you that these things don't happen quickly if you're in law enforcement and you have to deal with, with foreign law enforcement agencies. I mean, even when everyone that's working on an investigation desperately want to work together as a community, there's a lot of process involved. And that's one of the reasons why we do write about cases that have come to a successful conclusion on naked security. Just to remind people that although it may seem like life is free and easy for the cyber crooks, sometimes there is light at the end of the tunnel and uh, there are bars across it. <laughs> well, that's a great way to end the podcast, Paul. As always, for the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. For all of our podcasts, you can go to soundcloud.com slash And until next time, stay secure.